Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Government have been trying to say this has been unpredictable, but they need to be more creative and ambitious than that. I've had to go and set up a petition to try and get this over the line. I brought it to our minister. I brought it to the department. Nobody is listening. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. You know, it puts a lot into perspective um, when you think of somebody going out to do good to take part in an event for a wonderful charity effort. Charlie Bird and those with him around the country have raised over 2 million euro with Climb for Charlie. But when you think of the unspeakable tragedy of a mum who sets off to take part in one of those events and doesn't come home, and the family of Cora O'Grady from Mitchellstown in mourning, uh, and in shock and in horror and indeed I imagine everyone who knew Cora from around Mitchellstown and the surrounding areas will be in shock at her sudden and tragic passing while taking part in an event puts a whole lot of our little small problems I guess into perspective um, but yeah anyway look on a, on a happier note uh, and there, there are some happier notes out there um, I got some very funny suggestions as to what you put in your box like last night. You know, the time capsule box at the end of the census. What did you put into yours? Some people were very serious. Some people were having fun. Uh, KC would be interested to know someone I saw put into their thought box at the end of the census. Um, <laughs> did Mayo win the All-Ireland yet? <laughs> there would be more if you had a good one send it to me at 083 396 96 96 but first this morning to this news and I'm sorry to say that I'm not really very surprised by anything that's in this report that has come out a report that was carried out 17 months ago or a report that was issued 17 months ago to the HSE an independent review of care at nine major hospitals including Cork University Hospital visited by an expert panel in 2018-2019 given to the HSE 17 months ago not published by the HSE and now released thanks to the Irish Patients Association and a Freedom of Information request some of the stuff contained within this as I said shocking but not remotely surprising and joined by Dr Chris Luke. Chris, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Chris, I'm not shocked, unfortunately, by... I'm shocked but not surprised by a lot of the content of this, particularly something that is referred to as safari rounds. Now, as a consultant of any year standing, doing rounds with patients, would you ever define for me what safari rounds are? 
Well, I was uh, almost... By the way, I should say that if I was to put anything into the the time capsule, I'd probably put overcrowding in the emergency department along with the Mayo win and Croker. But um, safari rounds, I mean, we used to call them safari rounds in Cork University Hospital back in the early noughties when my colleague Stephen Cusack and I used to have to traipse around every floor and every corner of the hospital to find where our patients were. So we'd have patients admitted with all sorts, as you can imagine, collapsed lung, asthma attacks, allergy, head injury, poisoning. And because of the bed situation, they would be scattered literally in all the wards of, of the hospital. So we would spend hours traipsing around the, 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 the hospital to try and find them and, and see them. Of course, you didn't know the staff particularly, so you had to keep introducing who you were yourself to them. And, of course, much of that was settled when we got uh, our clinical decision unit, which is the observation ward area in the emergency department in Cork, which, by the way, probably admits more patients proportionally than any other part of the hospital and yeah. does a really wonderful job under the, 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 the steer, you know, under, under the captaincy of, of, of Anna Dillon there uh, for the last number of years. I mean, she runs a, a tight ship there in the CDU and they, they do wonderful work but of course the problem is there aren't enough beds yeah 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 the the, the image put into the into the head by the term safari round is there you are with seven or eight patients to see and you're wondering where are my patients correct and you can spend hours looking for them as opposed to having them all in one room or, or two or three rooms yeah. How does that happen? I mean, is that just because it's, well, the, point, the report does point to we put patients into the first bed that's available, which also leads to young women being put in with middle aged men, which is never conducive to, to good outcomes. So it really was a case of whatever bed is available, we'll put them into it. Yes, because uh, when the tragedy, history keeps repeating itself, you know, tragedy, tragedy, farce, farce, tragedy. And what's happening now is that there's a, there's a, there's one of the ideas that goes around the English-speaking world in America and Australia and Britain and Ireland is a thing called full capacity protocol, which is basically when the emergency department is bursting, uh, it's full to bursting, that patients are decanted, to use the, the, the managerial word, that they're decanted to any ward that has any space, even, uh, uh, whether it's a male, female, or a mixed ward, or whether it's a bit of the, the corridor up on that ward, that that that's what happens there and and the, the premise is that you know anywhere is better than the bedlam of an emergency department that that's full uh, you know it's chock-a-block and full of people who've come in by ambulance and are you know, you know like drunks and the intoxicated and the delirious and and, and so on so but there, there is a, there's an argument that that you can see sense in but at the same time the, the result is the safari round when the next morning the, the, the emergency physicians the people who, who, who are mainly based in the emergency department have to go as I say on a safari hunt to find where the patients are. Yeah. Other things in, in this review, like the, there's no there's no 24-hour safe and effective model of care. In that's that's not good enough in a place like CUH or anywhere, Chris. Yes, well, I mean, if you remember, PJ, when I first came to Cork in 1999, uh, you know, I was ro- rotating, spinning around three separate hospitals. And for a number of years, there were only two of us and then three or four of us running. And when I say running, I mean responsible for yes. everywhere from Bantry to Mallow to, to South Mercy and CUH. So the reality was, you know, even though, you know, we were working 80 to 90 hours, 80 to 90 to 100 hours, coming on all hours of the day and night, um, for, you know, the major crashes and the cardiac arrest. And I mean, I spent many, many Saturday evenings uh, trying to just to try and go, to work through the patients, you know, what they call queue busting. It, it, it was never going to be enough because there was the same queue in the Mercy 
as there was in CUH. Yeah. So I have to spin back down there then. Uh, I gather now that there are about 14 consultants in emergency medicine in, in, the, in the county of Cork. But they're, of course, they're all doing various things, including organ transplant, organ retrieval, inter-hospital transfer uh, and paediatrics and so forth. You know, because the workload keeps going up and keeps getting more and more complicated. So now we have paediatric emergency specialists uh, and increasingly uh, care of the elderly emergency specialists. So, you know, the, you know there, there, is a, there is a degree of evolution. And, and you know, to be fair and, and to ration the gloom, uh, PJ, mm. we are making a lot of progress. And Cork really is a beacon of progress, for example, in, in pre-hospital care, in, in overnight care, in toxicology, in trauma care, in military medicine and so on. So mm. it, the, the, the problem is the, is the crowding. And, you know, I, again, I've said this to you before. Uh, I've been a consultant for 30 years this year. And the overcrowding has been with us since the mid-90s. In fact, I can give you cut- cuttings from the Irish Times and the, and the Examiner from the 80s talking about trolleys. But the, the trolleys then were, they were often terrible, but they weren't perennial. They weren't daily. They, they would, they would, that, the trolley situation would flare up and down a bit in the 80s. But by the, by the 90s, it had become more or less permanent. And back then, people on the front line like yourself and you talk of... Stephen Cusack and other colleagues of yours over the years, you guys probably knew what to do and it wasn't done and still isn't being done. What do you do, though, to stop that ever perennial problem of overcrowding? Well, I, I, you know, again, to, to try and to be to be realistic about things in perspective, yes. again, even as a result of COVID, CUH has expanded enormously, as everybody knows. I mean, there's, there's hardly a family in the in the in the city and county that haven't been through CUH in the last two two years, despite COVID, and they have seen the extraordinary changes in terms of all the plastic cubicles to for, say, you know, infection control, the different streams, you know, arrive, and there's three or four different streams, you know, suspected uh, child with COVID. With suspected child without COVID, adult with COVID, adult, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's a huge uh, extension in terms of uh, care of the elderly. There's wonderful new care of the elderly facilities at the back of, the, in, you know, in the old department. And there's an extension, a, a new pediatric emergency medicine extension where the, the outpatient clinics used to be. So there's, again, notwithstanding the, the misery of the overcrowding, the, mm-hmm. the, the progress continues. Yeah. But look, uh, PJ, I, I have, there's two or three simplistic things that I keep coming out with and I've done so for a long time number one is when there's a general election and your man or your woman comes canvassing on your door the the, the prospect of td i say to them and i would urge everybody from you know from you know from bantry to 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 y'all to say to them thanks very much i'm very interested but when were you last in the mercy a&e or when were you last in cuh that's a very important question because i keep hearing from tds how shocked they are by the state of the, the local ED, whether it be in Dublin or Galway. And, and I, I, I think it's absolutely unacceptable for any TD or prospective TD to you know, express so-called shock at the state, of, the state of play. And in a sense, the same applies, I'm afraid, to the, the most senior management I, I, in our hospitals. Um, I, I had the opportunity not a number of years ago to work in a private hospital briefly because a, a friend uh, and a colleague dropped dead, unfortunately, the, the, the emergency medicine chap dropped dead and uh, another friend rang me from Dublin to say would you Chris is there anything you can do could you give us a day here and there and I gave them a day here or there uh, for, for a number of weeks and um, the one thing I was absolutely struck by was every single day in this private hospital ED the, the chief executive or the deputy chief executive uh, 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 you know pitched up 
to see how things are going and to offer assistance and see, is there anything we can do for you? And I think that's, that's real leadership. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to wave a magic wand, and we're not asking for a magic wand. But, you know, you really do need to have management. And I'm not, I'm not talking about senior sympathetic doctors, because there are those around mm-hmm. the hospital now, the mm-hmm. medical directors. I'm talking about management, people who can uh, create uh, an, an office or can see that you need a bed or a trolley or a chair. So, I mean, there should, I mean, I, the, the nurses and doctors should not have to spend any time finding chairs and finding toys. I spend so much of my time simply finding a space a chair or a trolley to put some elderly party on while I examine their hip or their shoulder or their head or whatever. And that's the sort of thing I'm talking about. So Mm -hmm. simple, basic logistics should not be left to the clinical staff because there's so few of them and they're so stressed that any non-clinical, any non-care aspect of the management should be uh, delegated to somebody in management or, you know, in a a suitable Mm -hmm. specialty. So So in other words... Yeah. Political awareness, and real awareness, and management uh, in the emergency department, so they can see what bits can be helped by, by by management and management authority. What used to really grind my gears, Chris, as a journalist on the ground over the years, was when you'd know that the minister was going to be at a certain hospital. You'd go along for the event, right? And the only the only smell you got was the smell of fresh paint. There wasn't a trolley to be seen, and it looked like it it looked like sparkling clean and no stress. False impression. Yeah. Big pantomime for the minister. Yeah. I'm sure as a consultant yeah. working at the time, you sat in your office goes, this is crazy, this is mad. Well, um, one of the times I got in, well, and look, look, I, I, rem- I, I took a picture one morning in a certain hospital, not a million miles from where you're sitting. And it was just to show that, you know, for days and days and weeks and months that we had absolute bedlam, chock-a-block, could, could barely make your way down the corridor. Then one morning I, I arrived in and the place was spick and span, fragrant, clean. You could see, you know, the, 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 you know no cobwebs, nothing, gorgeous. And of course, the minister arrived, Julia, within an hour or so later with the senior management. And of course, within an hour of the ministerial visit being over, uh, the, the trolleys were back and so on. And I can't tell you, PJ, how upsetting that is. That's one of the most upsetting things for, man- for, for a staff to experience. The fake Orwellian, they used to call them the Potemsky walls. You know when the Tsar went down the river, Don, in his barges? <laughs> and there were servants and slaves. They used to run from village to village, putting up fake painted walls and buildings to make the place look as if it was prosperous and then keep moving on down. That's what was going on there. And it is un unbelievably upsetting and demoralizing because it is fake. It is a fakery. It's a public, visible fakery that everybody in the staff, and in a sense, it's, I mean, I can't tell you, it's such a slap in the face for all the hardworking staff yeah. to do that. So I play, I say to management, stop doing that. Because I tell you, one of these days, you're going to have a, 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 an insurrection on your hands if you keep doing that carry on and lastly and I note within the report and I wanted to ask you about it because you yourself in your own book that came out last year effusive and frequent in your praise of nurses and younger doctors and all the other allied individuals in the hospital very big praise for the actual on the ground staff at COH valid very valid Absolutely. They are the greatest people in, uh, on the planet. And of course, the same applies, please uh, don't forget, to the Mercy yes. and to uh, Nula Colin and, and co. up in, uh, uh, in Grona Broher and the guys out in Mallow and Bandy, all of which are part of our community. 
and you know then you got Jason and Hugh and Adrian going around in their flying squads to, to right around the county who have transformed the care of people who are injured or come to grief you know in, in the in the in the furthest reaches of our of, of this great country you know so we have made great progress and the staff are wonderful the innovation that you keep seeing and the determination but we need logistical managerial and political support for all we do Chris Luke you'll celebrate 40 years in medicine this June and you, 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 <laughs> Indeed, thanks for reminding you, you, me. St- you still stick with it and always a friend on the opinion line thank you very much uh, Dr Chris Luke emergency medicine consultant 0818 96 96 96 lads he doesn't put a tooth in it does he can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Let's go! We roll out the biggest hits weeknights from 8 on Cork's 96FM. The Hit Mix. Hits from the best music mix. The Hit Mix. The Hit Mix. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks. Weeknights, 8 till late. Only on Cork's 96 FM. We have a giveaway on the show this week with Black Motor Motors for the annual demo and used car event. There are over 500 cars to choose from across the Volkswagen and Seat range. Starts Wednesday, also open this Sunday, 12 till 4 at Forge Hill, Cork, for Moyers and Skibbereen. See blackwatermotors.ie. A €250 voucher every day. And then on Friday, we'll upgrade one of our daily winners to a 500 euro voucher. What I want you to do is name the celeb, okay? A celeb who is connected to cars, very much connected to cars. Now, this guy kind of goes by, I'll make it easy for you today. This guy kind of goes more by his nickname than by his real name. But here's a classic clip of him in action. That is going to go to work. All right. I'll give it to you a couple more times. That is going to go to work. Who is that? His name and yours, please, to 083-396-9696. A reminder, too, the Premier League Live is back Saturday at 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh, powered by TalkSport. With all the live coverage of your Premier League action with Now. Stream live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. It's your sport on your terms. Streaming only the games that matter to you most with Now. And listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Now, let me see if we can get this to work. Um, Charlie Bird speaks with an electronic version of his voice these days. A miracle technology. It's wonderful. He has an iPad and he writes into it what he wants to say and the iPad produces his voice in the old tone that we remember so well. But after his climb on Saturday, he, he issued this. Hi Tiger and myself want to say a big thanks to everyone who supported Climb with Charlie. You are all part of an amazing group who have helped to raise vital funds and awareness for two charities so close to our hearts, PETA and the Irish Motor Neuron Disease Association. We are so proud that together we have made a true and lasting impact for people across Ireland who must climb their own personal mountains every day. Hey, bye bye. 
So sad at the end to hear what is left of that once magnificent voice, but it's there in electronic form. Charlie Bird thanking people who turned around around turned out around the country for climb with Charlie. Um, Katrina Toomey from Cork Penny you were leading one of those climbs. Good morning to you. Morning, PJ. I was indeed. <laughs> How did it go? Oh, PJ, it was fabulous. You know, some of our lads, um, Dave Feeney and his nephew Aaron, and another few of the lads went up to Crow Patrick the day before, and they were already, they took our bears up with us. So we have bears, and they're giant bears, and we just take them with us to raise awareness. Yeah. And uh, they took Bear Charlie, they took Bear Vicky for Vicky Phelan, and they took Bear Crilly for Mary Crilly up the mountains and carried them up on their backs and had them up there and, of course, attracted a lot of attention up there, while others then went up Quran Tool with the bears and put them up the top, Adrian Duggan and Dan Cunningham and all the lads went up there and uh, and the girls and just made a, a fantastic impression because it was just about sharing the love. I think when Charlie did the interview on the Late Late, it just stirred something inside mm-hmm. all of us and especially us some Penny Dinners because we know that people climb mountains every day and sometimes it's very, very hard for people to get over them. So we went out, we went to Gugambara. We had David McSweeney from McCroom doing Gun Up the Mushroom World because that's where Charlie Charlie and his family are from. Mm-hmm. And we had Joe Dalton of Shine a Light going up the Galtees with Anya McLaughlin and loads of others. It was just absolutely brilliant. But we went to... I made to climb up Dublin Hill as well with Circle of Hope. And um, so that was the toughest one, I'd say. But we went to Gugambara and we had um, an amazing day. It was freezing room and it lashing out of the heavens the next day. And then the sun came out. But, you know, it didn't dampen anybody's spirits. So if, you, if you're familiar with the walk up around Gugambara, yeah. when the walkers came up to the top, the band was there, the, the High Hopes. And they were there, and we we sang a couple of songs, and we sang um, "Love Rescue Me." It's just a song like about being rescued that somebody steps in and they help you and they rescue you, and that's because of love. And then um, Hank sang a song "Listen," which he wrote mm. himself, and it's just a beautiful song. So that was Hank Waddell because he's yeah. always with us, and he's Good old tremendous. Pal. Good old pal. And then go back a long way. then yeah. for ah, Char- oh, he's something else. We sang. Um, the Impossible Dream for yeah. Charlie because it's a song that's close to our hearts. You know, we did it with Marion Wyatt in Men of that's La Mancha right. Right. and we all feel it. It's a um, powerful song, but it says everything because, you know, it's when you're willing to just go that extra bit or yeah. go that extra mile no matter what's wrong with you. Like, you know, He's just... some man for one man. I mean, we all know Katrina only, oh. only, only two closely from every... I think that hardly one of us doesn't know someone who's had this damn thing and... I certainly lost no. a good friend to it, and it, it ravages the body, and yet he dragged himself up that mountain. He he did, you know, and our lads said like that when he came up, they said that that you could feel the, the emotion in the air, you could feel everybody's emotion, and that like to stand up there side by side with Charlie was one of the greatest feelings they ever had in their lives. Yeah. And they said like Daniel O'Donnell, Ray and Tuberty and Baz and the whole lot of them were all up there. And he said the 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 band, you know, the drummers and the pipes and the singers, he said, they said it was just something out of this world. They yeah. said it was fantastic. And to think that everybody, but you know, even Charlie's wife, Claire, 
she was just, I look back in it, you know, a couple of times since, you know, their claim gone up, Crow Patrick, and she's a tremendous tourist strength Indeed. to him. And then the message from Vicky Phelan, like Dave told us that when that message, when Daniel held the microphone up, he said they were all up in the mountain and he said, all you wanted was for things to get better for them. Your heart yeah. was wishing and praying yeah. that it would happen and that a miracle would happen. And they said you could feel it amongst everybody there. Yeah. Katrina, I know that you, you want to, um, first of all, you're running a recovery meeting of your own in Penny Dinners at the moment for people. Yes, we are. And you wanted to give that a, a mm-hmm. quick mention. Go ahead. Yeah, they're on every Tuesday, Friday and Sunday night at seven. And the lads themselves roll them out, Tommy Long and a lot of the lads that are that are in there, they started it. And it's, I suppose, four years in the run and own. It's going from strength to strength Good. and helping so many people. And um, Thursday night, then there's another meeting at seven. And it's in our new centre, the Karina Lee Centre on James Street, which is only one minute's walk from Penny Dinner. Excellent. So it's that close. And which I haven't seen and, yet, um, so I must pop down and get you to show me around. You must, yeah. Before I you let must. you go, Katrina, yeah. I'm going to talk to uh, Billy Kelleher, MEP, about inflation and the war and all that kind of stuff. But oh, well, I'm sure the impact yeah. of inflation is is crunching uh, on, the, on the people you deal with now. It is, and people don't know where to turn to or who to turn to at this rate because it's not just food. No, they're looking for it. They can't pay their bills. They can't afford their mortgage. They can't afford their rents. They can't afford, you know, just to put the heating on. And people are scared because they hear everything else is going to go back up. So, you know, we have a small country that could easily be fixed. You know, put I would suggest like that people put their minds to it in the government, obviously, because they're the ones with the power. They're the ones with the authority. And we just can't leave people suffer anymore. They're suffering too much. Mm. And, you know, one thing that's leading to is huge mental health issues mm. and huge suicide numbers in our country. And that's tearing families apart and hurting them so, so much. And not alone the person who, who dies, you know, the hurt and the pain and the fact that they feel that this is it, you know. We need, we need our services and we need the government to plough the resources, the funding into the services to the people that know what to do, how to help, you know. Both Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath both say we can't fix everything. It's not economically possible to fix everything. Do you accept that? No, definitely not. For goodness sake, you have to try. Even trying at least will help you get another avenue into a solution. So, yes, the things that are wrong have to be fixed, and that's all of them. Do you know, we need we, we need more mental health centres. Look at the hospital, you know, the people waiting on trolleys. I'm sure there's a load out there today, and none of them are, are happy because it's, it's uncomfortable, and loved ones then are watching them and fearing for them. Do you know, look at, you know, as I said, the, the mental health issues that are there, you know, there's so many of them and on different levels, but to each person, it's a mountain for them. Yes. And some of those mountains they can't even begin to climb because they don't know where to start. So I would not accept that not everything, you know, can be solved. You know, I suppose in hindsight, Arf, just going back on that one, what is being solved? It's a fair That's, point. You know, look at housing. Yeah. You know, what is being solved? And if they can't fix everything, what are they going to fix? So we don't know. We don't need to know what they can't fix. We need to know what they can fix. And then we can work with them to maybe fit everything else in as well and fix all those things too. All right. 
Fair point. Thank you very much. Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners and congratulations to everyone involved with Penny Dinners for being part of Climb with Charlie. 0818 96 96 96. Just on that, turn down the thermostat, says Eamon. Yeah, he was, Damon Ryan was saying, turn the thermostat down by one degree and leave out one car journey a week. It would have been nice to be able to turn it on over the last few months, says this message. And one less car journey. Listen, we go to work, we do the school run, we go home. They say you get the government you deserve. They really are testing that theory. They really are testing that theory at the moment. I lo- I'm looking at a uh, opinion poll over the weekend. I published for one of the newspapers. And a month or two ago, a month ago anyway, the most worrying thing on people's minds was the war in Ukraine and what was happening over the rising COVID cases and how concerned people were were we maybe moving out of COVID restrictions too fast. They were the big ones, Ukraine and its implications and COVID and all of that. They've been kicked to touch now completely uh, by the inflation crisis and the cost of living crisis and just what on earth are we going to do about rising prices. Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Every year, you join us to support a very worthy cause. And each time, we're astonished by your amazing generosity. If you need a light to shine it. Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th for Cork Cancer Services. And once again, we're asking you to include us in your diary. Include us in your diary. Start thinking now about fun ways to fundraise. You could also host a coffee break or fill one of our change collector boxes. I'll be everything you want to I'll be there. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96FM. I'm aware you're going to fly to catch shortly, Billy Kelleher, so thanks for giving us some time on the South MEP. Billy, uh, over the weekend you called on Irish companies to get out of Russia, to divest themselves of Russia, including, I think, Terry Foods, and you've got some shares there. Is that going to be just hard for them to do, to just pack up the tent and get out of Russia? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, no, it's not, uh, PJ, being truthful. A lot of uh, companies have already responded to the, um, the boycott, effectively, of the Russian economy, uh, just so that we are not seen to be funding in any way the criminal war machine of Putin. So I did ask uh, Kerry Group PLC to uh, withdraw from the Russian market. It's about 250 of the employees in Moscow. But I certainly believe that companies of the stature and... Um, renown of Kerry Group, which is a publicly limited company, should do what most other companies are doing, and that's actually shutter their business or um, suspend their business in, in Russia for the duration of this war. How about how about the workers, though? What will happen to their wages? Well, I mean, obviously, um, a lot of companies are still continuing to uh, pay the wages of their employees, but in terms of actually uh, productivity or making um, a contribution in any way uh, to the Russian economy, does indirectly uh, give tacit um, encouragement at the very least to the Russian Federation in terms of they being able to use it as publicity that international companies are still in there and that there's uh, no international boycott and that I think is um, 
mm. would be a failing of companies in general uh, and certainly PLCs should okay. be to the fore in ensuring that they have uh, the, the moral integrity to do what is the right thing. I know that there are other companies there but obviously you being the shareholder yourself in Kerry Group, have they responded to you Billy? I know you emailed them. Well, Yes, I, I, I emailed him on Friday um, uh, to Edmund Scanlon, the CEO, and I know that they issued a statement um, on Saturday and hopefully they will be responding to me directly sometime to, this morning or uh, later afternoon. But um, I still believe that they have to um, uh, suspend their operations like most other companies. As I said, some companies are still there, but they are actually unwinding their operations and um, we very much welcome that. But I think Kerry Group is, is one that I have uh, an interest in in terms of they being located in Ireland, south in the constituency I represent and I also being a shareholder. Okay. Billy, the inflation surge has, and I saw that opinion poll at the weekend, I think it was in the Business Post, that people are, it is now the biggest fear in people's minds. People were desperately worried about Ukraine and the implications of the war a month ago. They were very worried about where we lifting COVID restrictions too quickly a few weeks before that. Now, the top, with the independent, thanks Virgo, top priority for people now is inflation. Prices of everything going through the roof. People are terrified, Billy. Terrified. Yes, there's no doubt. I mean, this is going to be the biggest issue. And I saw Minister Michael McGrath speaking uh, yesterday in terms of, you know, public sector pay, the pressure that people are under in general, uh, social welfare recipients, whether they can, you know, even uh, weather the storm in terms of the, the cost of living and, you know, basically the inflation that's now very inherent across all sectors of the economy. And this was happening in advance of the Ukrainian war. I mean, the biggest problem was logistical supply chains during COVID. So you had a, a major increase in uh, the cost of production and also in transportation, etc., across mm. the entire globe. So prices were going up, but it's now being really um, fueled by the fact that you have a, a war in Ukraine, a lot of uncertainty, uh, food price spikes, and obviously fuel spikes as well, which yeah. is feeding into the broader economy. So what can, we all talk about how beneficial our membership of the the European Union is supposed to be for us. You're out there now working as an MEP. What can you do and your Irish colleagues do to take the pressure off ordinary families here at home that voted for you? Well, I mean, it's very difficult to uh, to point out any one specific uh, policy but certainly the issue of the VAT directive is something that we're pursuing at European level and I know that the government is pursuing it as well through the council um, we have raised this issue and I'll be speaking again tonight in the parliament on the need for us to have flexibility around the VAT directives mm. so that uh, governments across Europe can adjust the VAT rate in certain pr- products or items i.e. in fuel for example uh, to, to, to lighten the burden. Mm. I mean there's no way any policy will be able to address uh, you know, the, the yeah, major but- increase but certainly we can target specific areas like the VAT directive. Why are we so slow on that, Billy? Other countries just slashed it overnight and said to hell with the EU, we're just going to slash VAT anyway. Well, you see, we had a derogation in terms of the VAT rate on on fuel. So, I mean, uh, what they're trying to do is to streamline all VAT rates across Europe. So in the event of we uh, triggering this without approval from Europe, um, when it would go back to what it should be, it would be the high rate. And we certainly don't want that to go back to 23%. Yeah, I know we don't, uh, but do we not have emergency provisions in our own legislation to allow us to declare emergencies and things like that? And there's also debt limits. Like we can't, yeah, money is virtually free to borrow at the moment, however long that'll last. But we're very limited in what we can do. So the government here is quite limited by European rules in terms of what it can do to protect the most vulnerable, isn't it? 
It, well, it's limited in the sense that the VAT rate is, is, a, is a European directive, so it has to be approved by the Commission and the Council before we can adjust it. Mm. But look, I'd be confident how long that, is that it can happen. My only, my only concern is that a lot of people would have paid bills already yeah. yes. uh, and will be paying bills that are incurring VAT at the higher rate. And that's something that we want the European uh, Commission to bring forward as quickly as possible. I would be confident that it would happen this month, but it should be happening already. In what should be the VAT rate on, on ESB and gas going forward, Billy, for a while at least? What should it be? Well, cer- well certainly, on, uh, c- certainly on domestic, uh, domestic, um, and say to a certain threshold in business as well. You know, I, I think we were in an emergency, so you should be looking at uh, the minimum uh, that can possibly be be, be put Which on, is? It, and that would be my view. Well, I mean, you could go to zero for an emergency. Um, I, I'm assuming, particularly in the event of it being tailored for a specific emergency, and that it wouldn't be a long term. But I mean, like we have families now that simply cannot afford right. the next ES, ESB bill, the next gas bill, and that in its is putting huge pressure on families and you know we've seen cases even in advance of the war in Ukraine where families were making decisions on whether they were buying groceries for the weekend or yeah. filling the oil tank and that's no way for and, a and I know you're, so, you and your colleagues are only what 12 out of 700 and odd is there much lastly is there much unanimity uh, between yourselves and others that something has to be done and done quickly by the commission Oh, yes. I mean, when you talk to colleagues across Europe, I mean, other than the obvious tragedy of the Ukrainian war, but beyond that, uh, cost of living is the major increase, fuel costs, food costs, and just brought across the the entire economy. And of course, the concern, PJ, is that in the event of there being uh, inflation built into the economy for the next uh, period of time, you know, I would be very worried that the ECB would be forced to raise interest rates to try and stem the inflation rise. And that would be a double hit on families that are already paying more. You need to get a guarantee that isn't going to happen. Like the European Union is a very wealthy entity, Billy, and could probably afford to take that hit. That's, that's the balancing act uh, and you know I've certainly been very clear on that when speaking that you know if we are to have uh, addressed inflationary pressures in the economy that we certainly don't do it just by interest rates alone because that would have a profound impact on okay. people who are paying mortgages Well we'll see where, we'll see where it goes over the coming weeks the, the, sp- the speed at which the European Union works is um, thanks Billy glacial it moves at a glacial pace like we may get a response on that by the end of the month like, that's another expensive bill landing on the mat, maybe two in the course of a month. And Billy, confident that we'll get something on that at the end of the month. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now, there was another electricity company announced increases uh, Friday. Stephen, good morning. Hiya, Stephen. No, no, not too bad. You made a point there, and it's a good point. Go ahead. Yeah, I was wondering. Um, I know now that energy prices have gone up, oil prices have gone up, gas prices have gone up. I wasn't aware that the price of wind had gone up. Go on, tell me more. Yeah, yeah well, we have um, SSC Electricity, who announced the price increase last week. Yes. are constantly telling us, this is Generation Green... 100% renewable energy. Um, so, yeah. on that basis, their cost of production as far of electricity, as far as I can see, hasn't increased. I know the Electric Ireland and probably Borgash generate electricity using coal and oil and gas. Yes, yeah, mostly gas. Yeah, so, but uh, I, I don't get the reason for. SSE electricity, and I think energy claim to be 100% um, 
renewable. Yeah. Uh, it's, so, fair. It's, 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 a, it's a point that was raised by, by a lot of people actually over the weekend, Stephen. Why is it that if an electricity company who say they produce most of their electricity from wind and sustainable products like that, the price of wind, like you quite eloquently point out, Stephen, thank you, the point, price of wind has not gone up. So why is wind-generated electricity gone up as well as everything else? There was an explanation being offered over the weekend along the lines of all electricity that comes into our house or your house comes from the national grid, the, the, the central distribution of the national grid. And the prices being charged by the supply companies are based on the cost of supplying the national grid. I think it kind of answers the question. Or does it? I don't know. Does anyone have... There probably, probably someone who can explain very easily why. And Stephen's got a valid point. Gas has gone through the roof. Obviously. Oil prices are very high. Obviously. But wind costs the same as it did last week. Nothing. And we've plenty of it. So why did those prices have to go up? There, there is an explanation. I was struggling to get my head around it at the weekend. Maybe someone can enlighten us. Thanks, Stephen. 0818... 96, 96, 96. There's an event on this week. It's tomorrow at the National Rowing Centre in Ovens. Uh, it's a magnificent place, by the way. If you've never been out there, it's worth a look. But the National Rowing Centre, uh, it's a, an in-person event, which is, of course, big news in early 2022. We're getting back to in-person events. It's called the Business of Sport in Cork 2022. And one of the participants is Sinead O'Keefe. Sinead, good morning. Sinead O'Keefe from Cork GA, she's there, isn't she? Yes. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You're, you're, part, you're taking part in this event. What is it, first of all, and what will you be talking about? <laughs> so, um, good morning. It is um, an event to discuss and highlight um, the business of sport particular in Ireland and particularly here in, in Cork. Um I suppose one of the big things is that it's the opportunity for um, people within the industry of sport and business in Cork to meet. And a lot of us haven't met in, in over two years now, which is crazy. So I'm really looking forward to the fact that it's in person. A um, little bit fatigued from Teams and Zoom, um, as I'm sure we all are. So absolutely excited to hear um, from other people within the industry of sport. I mean, Cork is has has had so much success but also has such a wide spectrum of sporting games um throughout the county at all levels mm. i think it'll it'll be really really interesting like obviously we we all get tremendous entertainment from sport on television or in the flesh as it were as an actual event yes. but it's easy to to forget there is a business here there's profit mm. and loss and investment needed in sport and and that's really what's being discussed tomorrow Absolutely. I mean, I think when you when you go to any sporting event or you participate um, at any level, it's you don't really think about the, the fact that there's a cost involved. Um, so, at an elite level, I suppose their costs are escalating on an annual basis. There's a lot of effort that goes into providing the necessary facilities, equipment, um, guidance 
training, mentoring, management. Um, some of those sports are professional sports. Mm. Some are amateur, like the one that I'm involved in. Mm-hmm. And others then would be a blend. Uh, so again, you know, we all need money to function and to survive yeah. and to provide yeah. the best facilities for, for our players or teams or athletes. Even, so, even high quality uh, amateur sport, very high quality amateur yeah. sport that we enjoy on our television. That's costly to bring it to that level. Very costly, very you know? costly indeed, yes. And I'm actually thrilled tomorrow that I'm going to be joined by Sharon Lancaster from Sports Direct, who are the official sponsors of Cork GAA. So mm-hmm. I think one of the big things that has come to the fold probably in the last 10 years, but every year it, it, it gets even more important, is activation of sponsorships. So it's not just a case of putting a logo on something and, and calling it a partnership. Sponsorships now at all levels, whether it's, your local club or whether it's, um, you know, a stadium or a team or, um, you know, jerseys for underage Mm. or getting the bus right. All these little things require support, um, whether they're unkind or whether they are very strategic, as would be something like our partnership with with Sports Direct. And I personally absolutely love working with them um, because we're constantly trying to provide what's needed for the teams and also engage with our fans at, at a new and a deeper level. All right. Leave it there with you, Sinead. I've also got Rob Hartnett, for, Rob from Sports for Business, uh, on the line. Rob, big event tomorrow. Great to be all, everyone together again under one roof rather than on a Teams or other platform call. But the issues that will come up between amateur and professional sport, it's all business. It's all got to be supported. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Delighted to join you. And yes, delighted to be coming down to, to Cork tomorrow for uh, an event that is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting because the way that we look at sport and the way that we think about sport and the way that we enjoy sport is very obvious to most people. But as Sinead and yourself have just been discussing, it does require an element of investment in order to actually make that happen. And tomorrow we're going to be joined by Philip Quinn from Munster Rugby, by Michelle Carpenter, the CEO of Rowing Ireland, out at the magnificent facility uh, out in uh, out in ovens, and by Sinead and by um, Sharon Lancaster from Sports Direct, and by Maeve Buckley, who works across a load of international as well as Irish bodies as well in terms of the strategic planning. And what we'll be talking about is the way in which business can get involved in sport to get the benefit of that emotional connection that you get with customers but also to actually put something back into the communities. And we've seen so much and in such a deep fashion over the last couple of years, just how important sport can be in terms of the way it links into communities. So for business and sport, together with government and state agencies, to actually be able to to tweak that and to make it so that the, the magic of sport has a greater impact than just the 70 minutes or the 60 minutes mm. or the 90 minutes of, of, of play on the field. Mm. The point I made to Sinead in particular with, if you take someone like, and I, I say this now as a Cork man, right, but if you take Limerick, the greatest hurling team in the country at the moment, without question or doubt, um, you don't get to that level without investment. 
You don't. And we've seen it as well. Next weekend, the, 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 there's a big event where the, the Irish women's rugby team are coming down to play in Musgrave Park. Hopefully there'll be a big attendance at that. I've no doubt there will be. But we've already seen in the in the Six Nations, sponsored by TikTok, of course, uh, this year for the first time, just what investment can do because France are playing at a professional level now at the moment. And Wales have moved from an amateur to a semi-professional model as well. And Ireland have lost both of the opening games. So it's going to be really important to get a big crowd out and to get the support behind Italy. But Italy are playing on the same level as us in that kind of more amateur model at the moment. And And our our women's rugby team has always been strong and has always performed well. But you can see, and I've watched some of the two games, you can see the gulf in class now, the gulf in, in investment rather than class. You, you you just can't you you can't do better without the investment. No, you really can't. And like it's a it's a measure of the fact that the team coming back from France yes. now, where they were playing over the weekend, they won't gather in camp again until Thursday. So yeah. whatever they need to work on, and they realise that there are things they need to work on, they'll only have three days together before they have to go out there again. Now, if you're a professional team. Your focus is on recovery. That's it's right. on a couple of light sessions, whereas our team... Some of these women are going to work them. today. They have to go to work, exactly. All right, Rob, listen, that's that and many things being discussed tomorrow at that event in the National Rowing Centre in Ovens, uh, the business of sport in Cork. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Pulling over some of your comments on the situation in the health service and that report that was held back by the HSE but published after a Freedom of Information uh, request and indeed our conversation with Chris Luke, where as always Chris did not hold back. Some of your comments on that uh, coming up a little bit later, but just on the back of the cost of living and the prices and everything going up and up and up. Just spotted this over the weekend in the Irish Independent and I'm just throwing it out there for what you think of it because look, we're going back to weddings and going back to functions and events now and one thing that a wedding was never a wedding was never cheap it was never cheap to go to a wedding and get a wedding invitation that's a couple of hundred quid dropped before you leave the house and probably more when you get there and you know what if you're going to the wedding of someone you care about well that's fine but this came up at the weekend a person had this dilemma right a friend getting married next year and you've been asked to be bridesmaid and that's a great honour for anybody to be considered close enough in your life to be bridesmaid or I suppose groomsmen at the wedding over the moon but now it's a destination wedding it's going to be happening overseas which is lovely again fabulous going to sunny Spain you know weather is guaranteed beaches something like that right Just great however it'll cost this person nearly two grand just to get herself there just to get us up there. Everything, obviously, when you get there as a bridesmaid, everything else is covered and sorted and all that. But just to get yourself there, it'll cost 
two grand and she's wondering about the cost of it. And to add to that now, the hen party is also going to be a trip away to some European city and the cost is mounting up and it's going to cost a few thousand euro just to be part of her friend's wedding. A close friend. And this person's wondering, well, she's very sensitive. She's a close friend. I feel she'd be upset if I were to pull out. What should I do? I have no idea what I would do. I'll never be a bridesmaid as long as I live. I know that. But a groomsman or a best man, what would I do? I don't know, actually. Don't know what you'd do. You're very close to the person if they're asking you to take such a central role in their wedding. But it's costly to get there. It's very costly to get there. And weddings themselves are expensive once you arrive. What would you do? What would you do if it was a wedding for somebody that you were really close to? And you said, oh, I'm so honoured to be your bridesmaid or your groomsman or whatever. So honoured. So honoured. It's where? Oh, crikey. Um, how am I going to get there? Oh, can I come back to you? Like, what would you do? What would you do? Your thoughts. 0818 96 96 96. Now, we've all heard about Airbnb and its impact on the housing market. Airbnb, actually, the idea, the, the idea from Airbnb was a very clever one. This guy, these two guys called Brian and Joe were housemates, apartment mates. And they had two airbeds, which they inflated, and they offered a room in their apartment as an airbed and breakfast. Airbed and breakfast. And that's where the term Airbnb came from. And they made a couple of quid off it. In fact, they made 13.8 billion off it. But it's a short-term let. It's a very effective system. You get a good rate, but it's causing problems with housing. Ellie O'Byrne of the Tripe and Drisheen blog. Ellie, you've been looking into this. And Airbnb was a wonderful idea, and some people use it all the time when they go in on a holiday or a long weekend or something. But it's causing a problem. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, so... Um uh, I mean, I suppose one of the things that my recent article highlighted was just that it is having a big impact on available housing stock because people who would otherwise be renting the house out in long term letting are now opting to because it's more profitable and they get good control over who's in the house and that type of thing are opting to Airbnb their homes instead and then you can see this corresponding impact on the housing stock can I just say though that Tripod Machine is not a blog it's a Substack newsletter okay. so it's a an, it's a Substack newsletter for Cork City and County and every week we publish a long read which is like a long normally investigative piece about something that's happening in Cork City and County Excellent. I stand corrected and educated. I really appreciate it, Ellie. So you've 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 been looking into the, the the situation in Cork City. Now there's another platform called VRBO, but between it and Airbnb, there's nearly sixteen hundred properties. 
Yeah, that's I mean, I just when I started doing this, this work, I just my mind was just blown. So basically, um, I used this platform called AirDNA, which is actually a tool investors use to figure out where they should scoop up properties to use as Airbnbs. And they give kind of like um, live like data taken from the Airbnb website and from Verbo, which is would be like a much smaller platform. Mm. And they so you can look at their figures. So on the day that I looked, which was last week, there were 1,548 active properties being advertised in Cork City and County. That about 98% of those are Airbnb. So the other platform, uh, Verbo, is a much smaller mm-hmm. uh, platform. But 1,548. Then I went to Daft and there were 62 properties if for a long-term letting in all of Cork City and County on the same day. Reiki. So, I mean, that's telling us that there is a trend there that it is more profitable and, uh, you know, just people are preferring to put their properties on Airbnb than to uh, provide long-term letting. And there is a knock-on impact there. I interviewed uh, Adele Conlon from Threshold for my article. Threshold is the tenants' rights uh, NGO, you know. Yes. And they've been highlighting this issue for a long time. And in fact, I used their 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 methodology. They kind of put me on to AirDNA, but because they because they did a poster, I think it was with with data from AirDNA from December, and obviously Airbnb is seasonal, and so um, that at that point there were ten times the number of properties uh, on Airbnb as there are mm-hmm. um, on Daft. But yeah. now that's gone up because obviously it's springtime, so a lot of rentals are or a lot of short term lettings are opening back up again. No, there's nothing illegal whatsoever, is there, about putting that extra room of yours or even that <laughs> other house of yours up on Airbnb? It's it's your property to do with as you please. Or am okay, I wrong? You're so laughing. you might be wrong. Yeah. Okay. So in 2019, so the government has recognised that this is a problem for quite a while, and we've had, uh, you know, uh, some Cork-based politicians. So I interviewed Senator Tim Lombard, but also uh, Councillor Olin Ring would be another person that's been highlighting this issue. So in 2019, uh, they changed this law and they made it so that, and this is national, but it's in Cork. This is. This is uh, looked after by Cork City Council and Cork County Council. So a person who is going to be short term letting their property for more than 90 days in any given year has to apply for change of use planning permission because they're no longer operating a residential property. It's a commercial property. So that law came in in 2019. So the other thing that I did was I got onto Cork City Council and Cork County Council, and I asked them what the uptake of these planning permissions has been. And Cork City Council told me that they've only had four relevant change of use applications in the three years since. Four. Four. So uh, Cork County, there's been a few more. Obviously, I think places like West Cork now, there'd be more people doing this on a professional basis, you know. Yeah. So overall, between city and county, county. So remember that there are 1,548 active properties. There have been 51 change of use planning applications in city and county. And Cork County Council has granted right. 19 of these. So 
let's ask you a bit. Here's how simple the question can be. I have a granny flat, right? Yeah. And I could rent that granny. It's standalone. I could rent that granny flat long term to a tenant. And there are tax breaks for doing so, at least there were. Or I can get into the Airbnb game. And I can, I can nice position, nice, nice location, maybe in the city centre. I can rent it out for 50, 60 quid a night or short-term lets. Um, if I haven't applied to change the use of that granny flat, am I breaking the law? Only if you're going to do it for more than 90 days. So I think it's quite a reasonable law, actually, because another I spoke to a lovely woman called Grace Healy for my article as well. And she'd be really that original idea of Airbnb that... You know, the odd weekend, you make an extra couple of bob and you welcome someone to your home. And the 90 day rule means that you can still do that. So really what that's trying to do, because the huge problem here is that we now have a situation where investors and professional companies essentially are coming in on the act. So they're actually scooping up properties. They're buying properties for the purposes of this type of letting. So, I mean, it makes total sense from that point of view. So, again, to go back to your question about the granny flat, if you just wanted to do that the odd time for a couple of weekends over the summer or something like that, you'd be grand. It's if you're doing it for more than 90 days in a given year. Mm. Now, we're speculating So then, obviously, here. of course, of that people, of those people, those 1,548, there are plenty of what are called home sharers. There are plenty of people in that who are literally, I called it digital egg money in the article, yeah. who are literally just adding a little bit. They happen to be lucky enough to have a spare room in their house. Of course, that's grand. Do you know what I mean? But it's really this idea. And I mean, Tim Lombard, now he, Kinsale is in his, er, in his electoral area. Senator, yeah, Kinsale... Yeah. Yeah, Kinsale is suffering with this. He was telling me about people who have eight houses, five houses, those types of numbers, and they're empty for the majority of the year because it's only worthwhile. So they'll rent it. They'll let them out short-term letting for four or five months over the high season in the summer, and then they'll shut up shop, and then they'll be empty for the winter. So it's also a vacancy problem. And Kinsale, I mean, there's young families who are from Kinsale that have to move really far away and can no longer live close to their parents or what have you and are paying for fuel to get to childcare and all of this type of stuff. And this is having an impact for sure. And Senator Lombard was pretty, pretty adamant about that point. Ellie, what's to be done? Well, I mean, I think there, there is a change coming. I think that in 2023, um, uh, fall to Ireland are going to be responsible for a registration system but everybody I spoke to for my article said it can't be done anymore on the kind of self-regulation the way that the self-regulation thing has been working it's just not working out mm. like pe- you're asking people to self-report themselves and my uh, investigation that went out on Tripe and Rasheen last Thursday really does prove that that's not happening Uh, And the other thing that's really important to remember is that Airbnb is a massive multinational that gets a cut of the profit every time one of these rentals happens. And they don't ask 
for any type of certification mm. or any proof that you're in line with the local authority uh, when you, at the point... I, I at guess which they're dealing with legal systems that are different the world over, so there's no point in them asking for that, really. They don't, no, they Scotland don't has care. brought in legisla- legislation. If you're in if you're in Scotland and you're airbnb you have to upload uh, the, the relevant documents. Okay. There's no reason at all why they can't be pushed to do it, and they were totally non-responsive. Okay. Like, the fact that we have such a large entity that's actually changing the pattern of our lives yes. and impacting on our housing stock. Yes. And I got one response to a press query and it was like a laugh. It was actually like a joke. Right. So, I mean, I think the anonymity and the lack of transparency around these huge entities, that's a whole other issue. And that's yeah. an issue that government has to tackle. Finally, Ellie, and you, you may know this, are there certain parts of the world where whole blocks of a city, for example, like if you were to take the central island of Cork, are there parts of the world where you actually can't do Airbnb on the city's central Ireland? island? Um, I'm not 100% sure of that. I didn't really, because I know that um, a lot of European cities, you know, the ones that would be the real kind of city break destinations yeah. or, you know, the real historic with the beautiful Paris, old towns Rome, and that, that type kind of, of thing. Yeah. Barcelona. They, yeah. They've done, there's been a lot of protests. I've definitely been in cities where they've been calling out for legal changes. So I think that if there isn't a, a crackdown, a full crackdown, and I wouldn't want there to for it to be made illegal or anything. I mean, it's great for people who want to, and it's fantastic as a traveller, you know, yes. like it's a oh. really handy platform. Mm. Well, my daughter's been halfway aspects. around the world in Airbnb, do you know what I mean? She loves it. Yeah, so. I mean, it is a great platform from that point of view, but I just think it's just that, again, our legislation and our government ha- don't keep up with tech, and tech can bypass all of our kind of laws and how we want to organise our lives. So I think it's just that type of issue. I'm not 100% sure... sure. Um, you know, about the status, uh, you know, yeah. when it comes to it's what other European cities well, are doing, the, apart from Scotland. The figures are stark that we have 1,548 active properties, 90 on, with the Airbnb, and we've only had less than a half a dozen change, change of use applications granted by the council. I think that tells its yeah. own story. Ellie, thank you. Ellie O'Byrne, Triper and Rasheen. It's a Substack platform. I thought it was a blog. I stand educated and they were a weekly long read. You'll find them com. A good read. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon, take on your... Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
X-Challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Corks 96 FM Mind you, have you downloaded our app yet? The 96 FM app. Get it on your phone, get it on your smart, on your smart tablet, smart speaker, whatever. Because there's a whole lot more to Cork's 96 FM than just the radio station. Open up the app, you'll find the hit mix, the fit mix, you'll find Premier League on a Saturday. And you'll find all of our podcasts. The main podcast of the show, which is there for you between two and three in the day. The full show with all the ads and news bulletins and all that nonsense taken out. For you to listen to in full, if you wish, or the various bits and pieces, the what we call podcast extra, selected items from the show. They're podcasted again shortly after the show is finished at midday, and all of that and plenty more is on the ninety six FM app for you wherever you tend or choose to to download it. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now last Friday we mentioned that we're at the start of Autism Awareness Month. Uh, Saturday was World Autism Day and we will be touching on the autism story several times over the next couple of weeks. And I'm joined by As I Am, the the, uh, CEO of As I Am, uh, which is the National Autism Charity, Adam Harris. Adam, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me. Happy World Autism Month. Indeed. And same to you and good to speak with you again. It's, It's been a wee while. I suppose heading into Autism Awareness Month, Adam, the key issues facing families, um, what are they? So this year, the theme of our campaign for World Autism Month is Same Chance. And I think what it really captures is a reality that maybe people who are outside the autism community don't always realise. And that is that autistic people simply don't enjoy the same chance in society. And what families tell us, what autistic adults tell us from diagnosis to getting a school place to getting the support you need to making friends to getting a job you face barriers that other people simply don't experience and sometimes those bad those barriers are to do with people's attitudes and very often they're also to do with simply not enough support and not enough resources being in place for people to access the timely support that they're entitled to if i was to say here on the program to invite every call from every parent presently struggling to find a place in education for their child. And if I started that on Monday morning, I think I'd still be taking calls on Friday. It's a huge problem. And it seems to be, Adam, it seems to be getting more difficult, not less so. I mean, it's nearly 20 years since I had to get my son into education. It's not getting any easier. It wouldn't appear to be. And I think the data that we have would bear this out very well. So as part, for ahead of April, we've published a same chance report. And that's really looking at two things. As I am as an autism ID card, that's a tool people use, I suppose, to self-advocate and get support on family days out and things like that. But once a year we go out and we do a survey of that community. We also did a poll of the attitudes that the public have to autism, which I'll come to in a second. But if we just take education, uh, 28% of the families who answered our questionnaire didn't believe their child had an appropriate school place. And over half, I think 51%, did not believe the education system was inclusive for autistic people. So really what I think is in many respects, you kind of have a a dual issue here. On the one hand, there's an issue with spaces. There's an issue with the people who need the appropriate space actually being able to access it just to get in the door. So, you know, we've children sitting in mainstream who need autism classes. We've children sitting at home because they can't get an autism class space. We've children in autism classes who need to be in special schools. But as well as that, I think we also have taken a view that actually, you know, 
that we would be inclusive if we let people enter buildings. But actually, that's only half the battle. So we know there's lots of children who can't access education in mainstream because they can't get the SNA they need. They can't get the additional teaching time or sometimes because their teacher can't get the training they need to educate people because the board of management doesn't understand what autism is and doesn't put the supports and the culture in place in the school for the child to learn. So we need to take a much more holistic view to how we do education. But critically, the focus should be is it shouldn't be about places or, you know, children competing against each other for places. What it should be is about can the child get the appropriate place they're entitled to? And too often we still meet parents who are applying to 25 schools to get one place. Yeah, yeah. And it becomes even harder, Adam, at secondary level, as I'm sure you know. So you get the youngster into primary school, you get them into either a unit or whatever is appropriate for them at primary school level. Uh They come to the end of primary school and you face another blood, sweat and tears battle and there are tears I know that for trying to get them into secondary school for some reason the Department of Education doesn't get it that once you let a person into a primary school they're going to need a secondary school place that's not that's not clicking with somebody is it? Uh what I'd say is two things. There's, I always find there's an irony because for people who know about autism, uh, transition is really difficult. So when you're moving from one phase of your life to another, that's probably one of the hardest times for you. Yeah. So it's the time where you really need the state to be organized and supporting you. But the state is far worse at transitions than autistic people. And all of the key times where we really need that support, there's, there just tends to not be a joint up approach at all. And the systems don't talk to each other. And I think that's, that, that is a huge, huge barrier for people. And, um, you know, I, I I think the other the other I think reality is we're really bad at planning you know so we still don't have any sort of centralized statistics around autism in Ireland you know last night people will have filled out their census form in the disability question there's no option around autism so is it any wonder then that services aren't appropriately planned as we move from county to county across the country there's a thing as well with this if if you um what this is what very stark I had twins so I was able to follow the two the, path, the two pathways. My daughter, yes. we put her into primary school and the pathway was laid out all the way, literally up to the day she graduated from UCC. My yes. son, not so much. The, the no, different, it's a glaring difference, in, difference in, in pathways, Adam. Like, what can As I Am do about that? The, the reality is, and, and this comes back to our campaign, autistic people simply aren't given the same chance. Over 56% of people who answered our, our cardholder survey told us at one stage or another they experienced discrimination. And in some cases, it is about pathways to schools. In other it's the ch- children not being allowed to join their local GA club, families getting asked to leave a restaurant because their child becomes overwhelmed. There's still a huge amount of a soft discrimination there that people do not understand. As an organization, I suppose we're doing two things. First and foremost, I suppose what we really are calling for this World Autism Month is a national autism strategy, one coordinated resource plan to support autistic people across life. There was a promise last year from the minister that we're going to receive one of those plans, but we need to see that happen this year and we need to make sure it has the resources that it needs so that it's not just another report. The other thing, though, I suppose, is an organization we're actively trying to remove barriers that autistic people face and we're doing that I suppose in two ways. One I suppose the COVID-19 pandemic had a huge impact on our community. A lot of the barriers we faced only became more pronounced because structure and routines obviously really important for people that was taken away overnight and at the same time those really vital supports like school they closed so we saw a 300% increase in queries to the organisation. What we did was even though it was really hard to fundraise we set up a load of new support
supports to try and help people. So this year, a thousand people will go through various support programs that ASEAN has set up. That includes 400 adults accessing social groups for the first time, because we know that autistic people are four times more likely to experience loneliness. And it includes a new information line that we're expecting 5,000 callers will call this year. But then the other side of the house, and I think this is the side of the house that we miss too often, is it's not just about supporting autistic people. It's about actually everybody in society realizing that they have a part to play as well. Um, you know, everyone has a way, a role to play in busting these barriers. Just to give you an example on the school issue, we have an autism-friendly schools program now. There's a number of Cork schools in it. And we work with over 100 schools over the course of the year to upskill their teachers, to look at their policies, to help them learn from each other so that they can actually become truly autism-friendly. So it's a bit like a building a bridge. We need to support autistic people on the one hand, but we really need to educate and change society on the other. But we need the public support this Autism Month in terms of donations so we can continue to grow this work. Let me just read you one typical comment that comes in from a listener, and I'm sure you've heard a thousand like it, Adam. I could write a book on this. My daughter is five, diagnosed a year tomorrow. Not a peep about therapies except for maybe some volunteer therapists. I'm haunted for my daughter being a unit of the school. That woman uh, said that they've not even had a single speech and language appointment in the 12 months since diagnosis. We can't keep putting up with that. No, and unfortunately, it seems to be the pattern all around the the country. Conscious in Cork earlier this week, uh, we had Dervla Burke O'Connor was one of the ambassadors for our Mm -hmm. campaign who many of us spoke to her Friday. We've heard her story as well. This is the reality that's happening all around the country. And, you know, I think a big part of the problem is we're still far too much grace and favour about this issue. You know, autistic people and their families, it's kind of a case of waiting in line and asking nicely. This is about people's rights. Um, Autistic people have a right to participate in society. Ireland was the last country in the European Union to sign and ratify the UN Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities, but we've done that now. And the reality is people shouldn't have to ask, people shouldn't have to come on radio and tell their story. This is actually about the government doing its job and providing for the rights of autistic people. And that's what urgently needs to happen this World Autism Month. Yeah, Minister Rabbit is coming to Cork tomorrow for the first disability family forum but I mean many parents didn't even know it's on uh, so they can't go and they can't engage you know there's not a lot of communication there I think communication can be one of the the poorest things for many autistic people and their families. You know, one of the the barriers that really does exist is there's lots of state agencies that will tell you you're not talking to the right person, but there's very few people who seem to say, I am the person to talk to and how can I help? So I think that's a a huge, huge barrier. I think the state has to be much less reactive around this issue and much more proactive because I think what a lot of families and autistic people see it is that there's nobody actually on your side. There's a lot of red tape, there's a lot of bureaucracy, but there's nobody who actually wants to advise you and help you. And I think that's, you know, it's tough enough without actually having that experience. Adam, I posted a picture of my son um, for World Autism Day. We were out having coffee and a chocolate eclair and I just posted a picture of him. And someone replied, and it broke my heart, they've just had a diagnosis. They know through listening to me, they know the road their child is facing and they're already losing sleep. We can't let that continue. We absolutely can't. And I think, you know, what is actually critical to all of this is 
the voices of autistic people and our families. You know, we did an Attitudes to Autism poll and I think it shows some of the barriers that are out there because people have become aware of autism and that's great. But, you know, awareness isn't enough. Awareness doesn't mean you do anything. Awareness doesn't mean that you hold your politicians to account on this issue. And what we know is that 60% um, of the public still don't have a good understanding of autism. 60% of the public still have negative connotations about autism. Uh, Even when you go down to things like should an autistic person be able to go to the same school as a non-autistic person? It's pretty much a 50-50 split. Should autistic people not be punished in school if they become overwhelmed or distressed because of their autism? 50-50 split. So there's still a a huge amount of stigma out there. And I think the way we change that is, and we saw this in our poll, when people know an autistic person, that's when the dial begins to shift. You know, statistics get you so far, policy documents get you so far. But I think what we've learned about equality movements in this country is when we realize it's your neighbor, it's the person sitting beside you in school, it's the man working with you in the office. I think you then begin to realize that this is a real issue. It's real people's lives at stake. And I mean, unfortunately, and I, I don't like saying this, but the outcome Outcomes are, are startling. Like we know that I mentioned already four times more likely to experience loneliness. 85% of autistic people unemployed are underemployed. And unfortunately, reality that eight in 10 autistic people experience mental health conditions nine times more likely to die by suicide. They're horrific statistics, but the reason why I'm saying them this morning is none of them are to do with autism. When you bring your child for an autism diagnosis, they don't need to be unemployed or lonely or unhappy. That's coming from how we as a society respond to autistic people. And it's in all of our hands to change that, both in terms of our own behaviour in day-to-day life, but also in terms of what we expect from the state as well. Lastly, Adam, tell me about your information line before I let you go. Absolutely. So this is a a new service that we piloted since November. Uh, It's been incredibly successful and we've supported over 1,200 families since then. It's staffed by appropriate professionals and it's a place you can come, get signposting, maybe troubleshoot a particular barrier you might have faced and also get signposted either we can advocate on your behalf to the state or also signposting to the various different support programs we have on the organisation. The number for that line is 0818243243 and the email is supported as I am.ie. There's also an, an, an online chat option at certain times in the week but what I would just say to the public is we really need the public support it's a very hard time to fundraise and there's a huge need out there so if people can donate at asiam.ie today we'd really appreciate it Alright, listen, great speaking with you again Adam Harris, CEO of asiam.ie Autism Awareness Month running for the month of April that number, should you need to contact asiam 0818 243 Two, four, three, and he won't mind me pointing it out. He's gone off the air now, but he won't mind me pointing it out. Just in case you wonder the potential of an autistic person, Adam Harris is autistic. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. City Limits Comedy Club is bringing Terry Alberton to Cork for a show taking place on Saturday, April 23rd. Terry regularly performs around the globe and has worked with Joe Rivers and Eddie Izzard, and you can check out thecomedyclub.ie for ticket details. Access all areas. CSN Live and Gigging, the showcase from Colossus Stefan Nafa's music management course, comes to Triscoll on Wednesday.
Wednesday, April 6th. The show will feature the love buzz, Clona Quirk and more, and tickets are available from the Triscoll's box office. Access All Areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, just reminded there, the Maoris of New Zealand have a lovely word for autism. And I came across it over the weekend. It's Takiwatanga. It's in the Maori language. Obviously, I'm mispronouncing it terribly. But Takiwatanga is the Maori word for autism. And it uh, it stands for in their own time and space, which just about sums it up. If you learn one word of Maori, this Autism Awareness Month, Takiwatanga, in their own time and space. 0818 96 96 96. Joined by Joe Donoghue, uh, Mental Health Promotion Manager with Mental Health Ireland and indeed the national lead on the Hello, How Are You campaign. What is it, Joe? Good morning. PJ, how are you? And how are you, PJ? Good to speak with you. Good to speak with you. I am very well today. Thank you very much. Good, good, good. So um, thanks a million for having me on. PJ, it's a really simple uh, concept. Um, Next Thursday, this Thursday, rather the 7th of April, we're asking the nation to say hello. And we're asking people to ask the question, how are you? But to ask that question with meaning and listen to the answer. It's a very simple health promoting uh, tool. And we're hoping that everyone will get involved on the day. So it's kind of, hello, how are you? And how are you? Now, you may just get, yeah. Astra, I'm grand. But even that's yeah. an answer. Well, it is. I, I suppose there's two parts to this as a campaign. One is the connection piece, um, which is the hello, how's it going? You know, how are you? Um, and maybe connecting in with somebody that you haven't connected in with in a while. And the second piece is the the asking the question, how are you? But really asking that question, what meaning? Um, and you know what, uh, like we spend a lot of time developing this as a campaign and we, we, we've kind of looked at, at all the, the different possibilities. And a lot of people say to us, well, what if someone is fine? And our answer is, well, that's great. Happy days. Go have a coffee, go for a walk, have a really nice time. If someone isn't fine, then what we've developed at Mental Health Ireland is we've developed um, tools and ways, I, su- I suppose, to support somebody who might not be well. And it was really interesting they're talking are listening to Adam's interview there around loneliness, um, you know, people in, in with autism being like more uh, at risk of being lonely and unhappy. And and there's some of the, 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 I suppose, what we're trying to achieve with the Hello, How Are You campaign as well is a lot of people don't feel connected at the moment. A lot of people do feel lonely. We're hoping that this campaign will reach out to those people and will have start conversations about mental health or other things. It might be conversations about autism, might be conversations about finance. It could be conversations about parenting. It doesn't really matter, but it's about starting conversations. Yeah, yeah. If you do ask someone, uh, how are you? They say, actually, I've been better. Where do you go yeah. from there? I suppose what we've done, we've um, developed an ac- the acronym and hello um, of this campaign um, divides saying hello and asking the question into five steps. So the first step is saying hello. So that's the greeting. The ste- second step is around engaging. So it's about thinking about where you're having that conversation with somebody. Um, you know, so don't have too many distractions. Maybe turn your phone off if you do think it's going to be a meaningful conversation. 
This, the third part is around listening, really listening. And we've developed some tools to support people to do that. What is active listening? And then the learning piece. So it's, it's asking, probing the person about what's going on, not putting your own situation. Like, you know, that famous, um, you know, oh, God, you think of you problems? Wait till you hear mine. <laughs> or um, this is, I'll tell you, I, this will work for me. You have a bad back. Go to this physiotherapist. So it's not about that. It's about really listening and really learning. And then the last step of the campaign is around options. And it's not about us, I suppose, um, you know, talking to someone and telling them what we think their options are. It's about giving the person time to look at their own options. And we often don't get that. Like you often don't get a conversation where at the end of it, you're saying, someone might say to you, well, what are your options? You know, um, giving someone the time. Uh, a big part of this campaign as well is signposting. So we um, we have a website, hellohorai.info, and we do lead people to, to signposting because information is key. So if I have do something going on in my life, where would I get support with that? You know, um, what might be my next step in, in supporting myself or supporting someone else? Okay. And it's Thursday is the day. Yeah. So it's it's Thursday um, on yeah, the 7th. So we've been working towards this. This was um, a grassroots campaign actually that started in um, County Carlow. Um, by an organisation called Carlo Mental Health Association. And um, they have been running that for a number of years. And then Mayo heard about it, um, the County Mayo, the Mental Health Association up there, and they ran it. And then last year, Meath and Westmeath ran it. So Mental Health Ireland has taken this on now as a national campaign that we're hoping every county. And I'm on the website at the moment, and I was looking up what's happening in Cork. And there is, there are lots and lots of um, events and different things happening in Cork at the, um, on Thursday. Um, fam, the Family Resource Centre in um, where am I now? It's um, Beira um, yeah. in in Cork. Yeah, Cork. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, there is a Cove Cove Family Resource Centre running a number of events as well. I have to say, um, Beira West Family Resource Centre are doing loads of different things. Um, there's a walking festival that's happening in Cork as well, and they're introducing the Hello Fest or the Hello campaign into it as well. So if people want to check out what's happening in Cork, a number of libraries are also getting involved in this as well. So if people are going in on the day to get their library, they'll come out with um, a, a bookmark that lays out the steps, the H-E-L-L-O steps. What we're asking in Mental Health Ireland is just to change for a day. Now, we want people to do it for longer than a day. It's just to change the way that we say, hello, how are you? Yeah. And to have a really meaningful conversation on the day. And I know from, from my own point of view, PJ, I know this is something that worked for me. Uh, I was part of the initial campaign in, in Carlo in 2015. And I heard an interview about a campaign in Australia called the Are You OK Day? And I had a friend that I knew was struggling. Um, and I had been chatting to her like loads, you know, but I rang her after hearing that interview and I rang her and I said, how's it going? And she said, yeah, yeah, grand, grand. And I just knew there was something niggling at me. And I just said to her, you know, I don't really, you don't sound great. And the last time I saw you, you didn't seem great. And she just let it all out. I couldn't believe it. The mm. power of her knowing that I really wanted to listen. It was just so powerful. Turns out she did have some stuff going on. I can't even remember now, would you believe it's so long ago, what was. But I do know that she went and got a bit of support. She spoke to her husband about what was going on. And I checked in with her a couple of weeks later. I mean, I never spoke to her again about it after that. But I just the power of her knowing that I was willing to answer that or to listen to her answer, that I wasn't like, oh, I have to go collect the kids or, oh my God, I need to get back to work. I actually said, you didn't sound great. Is there something going on? Yeah. Oh my God, the power of that. So I'm totally sold on this since, you know, um, 
and, de- and, and delighted that it's now a national campaign and that we're asking uh, the nation, I suppose, to ask the question, how are you with meaning? Okay, I see on the website Mental Health Ireland, when you open it up, it comes up with, hello, how are you? And you can read all the links uh, from that and to take part in the campaign. And just bear it in mind the next time you're talking to a friend or family member, Joe Donoghue from Mental Health Ireland. Thank you very much. 0818969696. couple of comments on that one. Yeah, Bernie says, that lady sounds interesting, but I'd like to add something. When you ask someone how they are, we don't want the answer... I'm busy because that makes us feel lonelier and more isolated. We don't want to hear they're busy. We don't want to hear about their work. We want to hear how they really are. Thanks, Bernie. 0818 96 96 96. Right, nearly forgot this. I mentioned it earlier on, but I want to do it again. We have got a giveaway this week, all this week, with Blackwater Motors for the annual demo and used car event. Over 500 cars to choose from across the Volkswagen and Seat range. Starts Wednesday open up to and including Sunday 12 to 4 at Forge Hill for Moy and Skibbereen. More info, blackwatermotors.ie. Of a €250 Euro voucher every day, then on Friday, one of the daily winners will be upgraded to 500 Celebrity motorist. Big name. Big, big name. Celebrity motorist. Who's this fella? Drives a lot of cars. That is got to go to work. Now, he goes usually by a nickname. So I don't care if you want to give me his real name or his nickname. That's fine. Who is he? That is not going to work. Love that line. That's from one of his movies. I think it was number seven or something. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie We want to thank you for supporting the Cork's 96FM Ukraine Crisis Appeal. A huge thank you. Yes, I should say thank you. Because of your amazing generosity, €82,000 has been raised for the Irish Red Cross. Your money will go to those who desperately need food, water, shelter and medicine. Yes, I should say thank you. A huge thank you once again from all of us at Cork's 96FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, I had Gary Gibbons on the phone uh, a week or two ago now after his beautiful, beautiful motorbike, all covered in Red Bull logos and a very unique bike because he actually got it from the Red Bull setup, the Red Bull garages or headquarters in, in the UK he bought it from there and it had been taken, uh, he had CCTV and all that kind of thing and he knew what he, they'd been taken in a van, that kind of thing but um, unfortunately still no sight or sound of the bike and he's kind of coming to the conclusion now that it was just burnt out somewhere which for such a beautiful and valuable bike now his friends have set up a GoFundMe to try to get some money together for a second hand bike and he's wondering if we'd be kind enough to mention that uh, the GoFundMe is called Hope for Gary's Bike Return and could he do anything to maybe 
advertise it or plug it. We were happy to do that, Gary, because I know when you spoke to me about the bike and the history of the bike, and you actually got it from the, the Red Bull headquarters in the UK. It was a racing bike, a powerful, beautiful machine. Maybe the motorbike community around the city and county can get behind get behind Gary on this. It's a horrible thing to happen. Um, to have this very unique and beautiful bike, to any bike taken, but to have this particularly unique and beautiful bike. It's called Hope for Gary's Bike Return. And I know that we did kind of reach out to the motorbike community uh, when Gary was on the programme, if anyone has seen it. And I guess that still stands. If anybody has seen this stunning bike, this Red Bull bike, you couldn't miss it like uh, you can get in touch with us and we'll put you in touch with Gary but the GoFundMe is called Hope for Gary's Bike Return if anybody would like to help 0818 96 96 96 I've got some more comments from the first hour on cost of living and particularly people very taken by what Katrina Toomey was saying um, I'd get to those get to those in the fullness but it was in town the weekend Friday evening popped into town and it's kind of a last minute thing really and it was a lovely evening in town, cold, but very nice. And I spotted this extraordinary mural on Turkey Street. It is just jumps out of the street at you. It's so vivid. It's almost 3D. It's just a splash of, it's gorgeous. It was just catching, starting to catch the evening sun. And it's beautiful. Really, really lovely. And it uh, was drawn or it painted by Claire Provost. I hope you have your name correctly, Claire. Good morning to you. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Hi. Yeah, that's pretty much that's that. Yeah, Claire Provost. Good. <laughs> Sounds good. It's called Outdoor Life in the City. It was commissioned by, by the council. And what struck me, Claire, was just mm-hmm. the vibrancy of it. You can see it from space. Like, is it a <laughs> in a particular style? Is that your influence? Um, yeah, like, I mean, uh, having vibrant colors and just that particular way of drawing is kind of, yeah, my style. And I'm happy to um, have it at a larger scale um, to get people interacting with it as yeah. well. Yeah, certainly it stops you in, in your tracks and you look at it and you go, my God, that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> do you think that art inspires people? How do you think that, that, that works, Claire? Um, well, I don't know exactly how it works, but I think people are looking for kind of more colors and, and to interact with um, art in a different way that's not necessarily in a museum. So I think public art is a great way to do that, just kind of um, people going on their walks and, and then looking around and seeing something different and particularly um, the transformation of a grey dull wall they might have seen before mm. into a um, piece of artwork is obviously something that they will probably feel intricated by and, and probably I hope they will feel happy to, to see something yeah. a bit different there. As I passed it it was just sort of catching the, 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 the rays of the evening sun which made it dance out yeah. even more. Like it sets a whole tone for the evening, a whole tone for the city. It was lovely. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad to hear. Yeah. Now, French originally. We can hear that in your accent. Uh, you spent yeah. a lot of time in Dublin, but Cork. How how did Cork attract you? Oh well, I didn't get to spend uh, that much time in Cork before, so it was just a, a great way to come and kind of spend a, a week there. And like, I mean, we, me and my assistant got the most 
beautiful uh, weather as well to paint. And we really, really enjoyed uh, spending uh, a week in Cork and just discovering the city and obviously working hard during the day. And just the people as well being so friendly, um, just a lot of people kind of passing by and saying hi. Um, uh, just uh, some people offering us coffee or tea and, and just having a little chat. So that's always lovely when when you work outside. Yeah, and like you say, yeah. you're con- you're converting a, a dull grey flat wall into a beautiful, lively piece of artwork, which is which is wonderful. <laughs> Let me bring in, stay there, Claire. Let me bring in Dimna Murphy, who's senior exec officer with Cork City Council. Dimna, yeah. uh, it's it's absolutely gorgeous. Whose idea was it to commission it? Warning. Morning, morning, PJ. It was the idea here of um, the sports and sustainability section of Cork City Council and also the library, because you may not know, but that is the back entrance to a library. And actually, if you look at the pillars there, they've got the original Carnegie Library um, stones on top of the pillars. And we just thought if we're going to be opening up that space, wouldn't it be lovely to put something very bright and vibrant there, if you like. And I suppose in society today, we talk about the environment and getting out and getting fresh air and exercise uh, and you know reading a book in the park and that I suppose was the idea behind it to sort of celebrate the fact that in Cork City you can do this Um, and you can do it now with the new cycling lanes, our parks, the pedestrianised streets, we're planting more trees so I suppose when we looked at the wall and we looked at the type of work that Claire did we thought this is a perfect match Um, you know you do need something very bright there Um, And we suppose we thought that like rather than preaching at people that this is a lovely way to kind of catch their uh, their attention. You know, you Mm. can see somebody cycling and running and rowing and uh, bees and other wildlife. So that kind of was the idea behind it, that we would get our message out in a really nice way. Yeah, you you, you certainly caught my eye, as I say, I was wondering longer. What the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, and that's what we want. You know, it isn't it isn't in your face. It is kind of, you know, a little bit sheltered, so it had to be like that, you know, that yeah. you catch the colours out of the side of your eye and then it brings your eye off right. the wall. That's right. Uh, and Claire has done that to perfection. It's, it's, it's just fantastic. Fabulous. It's like it's yeah. like a beautiful advert for all that we yeah. can do in the city. Uh, absolutely, and actually, I, I think that's a very, very good way of doing it, that you don't want a big list of things you can and can't do, that it is an advert, it is advertising in a way. And I suppose um, our chief executive here, Anne Darty, is always trying to engage our citizens. So we thought art is, is a great way to do this, you know? It's different, it's colourful, it makes the city look better, it caught your eye, you're now doing a sort of a, a talk with us, you know? And also it improves the public realm, and hopefully it entices tourists and locals into the city and come in and have your coffee. So, you know, it's a non-preachy way, I suppose, of saying you know, the city's getting greener, there's more places to hang out and be active too, if you like. So, you know, and it ties in with other things we have, like the Lifelong Learning Festival. In there we have things like maintaining your bikes, learning to cycle, mm-hmm. you know, all this kind of thing. It's all tying it together. So, it's, I suppose it's a, it's a nice, bright way to do yeah. that. There's a, civic, there's a civic pride element to it as well, you know, we're damn proud, and, and that's not just that art, there's so much lovely artwork around town now, you're very proud that they're there like, take another one, like like, like the hurler, they're fabulous, yeah. great civic pride in those, you know Absolutely, and I suppose Cork has a great history and heritage of sport you know, and you know what they say, a day out of Cork is a day wasted, but um, it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's just to celebrate 
the city and it's getting I think the city is getting better and better and better and I think you know I suppose we all bring up the pandemic but this thing of being locked in your house and now you can get out and it's wonderful to see people around town and pointing out these you know I walk past that hurler every day on the way home and there's always people stopped pointing at it and taking photographs of it so you know these dotted around the city it gives it gives me great pride as a yeah. Cork person yeah. to have those there and as we come into the, the, the late spring and the summer the evening sun I think the evening and the morning yeah. sun too depending on the angle but the morning and evening sun just add even they make them almost 3D it's fantastic Claire where can we see more of your work Instagram I think I think you've got a spot, a spot there Yes, um, so that's mainly on Instagram. Uh, it's just my name, um, Claire.Provo, um, and you can find a lot of my work there, and I post kind of updates on murals and projects I'm up to. All right, listen, it's, it's, thank you for the wonderful piece of art you brought to our city. Claire Provo, uh, uh, the artist, and David Murphy um, from Cork City Council. Have a look at it next time you're passing. You can't miss it. Just look up, and there it is jumping out. It's so colourful, it's almost in 3D. Fantastic. 0818 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Question 9. D-Day is associated with what war? World War 2. And who wrote the book The Old Man in the Sea? Ah, oh, stop it, Willa. Willa, Willa Wong, we need your surname. Willa Willa, Willa Wonka. Willa, Willa Dwan. Yeah, Willa Wonka. Yeah, yeah. Willa, 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 Willa Wonka. Stop, boy, Willa. We were asking you questions, you weren't waterboarding yet. Stop, boy, Willa. Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC Cars Blackpool. First Skoda in the city. Now taking orders for 221 and always open 24-7 at noldc.com. Maybe it's worth mentioning why I was in town at short notice on Friday evening. I had a mention, a message to say that Palamine was doing his last gig before he heads away to America uh, to seek uh, his fortune, I guess. And that's Larkin Ganey. Uh, Larkin was playing in Clancy's with his dad, Jim. Um, Jim's, of course, a great pal of mine from around town. But uh, Larkin and Abby, his fiance, heading off to the US. And they may, may already have flown out uh, over the weekend, which was a fantastic gig with family and friends uh, were there with Larkin and Abby and Jim. And it was a great, we just had such a great crack for a couple of hours. And that's why we were in town. So, to, and, and by the way, Clancy's lads, they are absolutely kicking out of the ballpark. Uh, Monty and the crew in Clancy's. It was kind of the first proper night out and certainly my first night with live music up close since pre-pandemic. And I only realised they're going home on the bus. That's the first actual proper gig I've been at since since the damn pandemic in a pub. Sitting, looking at It was great. 0818 96 96 Now, talking there about that wonderful new mural, it's, it's on the side, as David points out, it's on the side of the the library and uh, Cork World Book Fest. Hey, talk about t- t- tying two things together. Cork World Book Fest happens later this month. And I was looking through the list of people that are taking part in it. The authors, uh, Patricia Looney 
I would, I, if I decided to take time off to go to the Cork World Bug Fest, I wouldn't have enough time to see everything I want to see. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thank you for having me on. You've got some really big names lined up. We have, I suppose. You know, last year it was all online. As you know yourself, you were part of our festival last year. That's right. And we're back um, in action in person again this year. And we're so delighted that we certainly got carried away with our programming. Yeah. Um, so we have, I think we have, it's our 18th festival, PJ. And we really have something from everyone from naught to... Yeah. 99, you know. So it's all about the forward. celebration of the book and the joy yeah. of reading and the skill of writing and the varied types of writing that are out there. That's it, PJ. And we have we have our own logo, which is Cork, a city of writers, a city of readers. And really, you need both. You can't be a writer without being a reader and the writers need readers. But um, we have such a wealth of uh, local writers and then with the World Book Fest, we concentrate also on translation and international writers. And we have international writers from Spain and Brazil this year. Mm. While we, and we then have our own celebrations through um, last launches, which will be in St. Peter's, which um, celebrates Cork writers who launch their books during uh, the pandemic and didn't get a proper launch. So it's, yeah. it's a big celebration there. And um, we have great venues as well this year, St. Peter's, the Farm Gate, Crane Lane, as well as Triscoll and ourselves. Yeah. So I think we have music and we have poetry and we have children's events. We have the launch also of our One City, One Book yeah. this year. Yeah, it's called Colonel uh, Creedon's book, uh, Panto and Lefty Ride Again. Yeah, and I, I mean, a, a wonderful um, part of that will be the, the marathon reading of it in the Crane Lane that's on right. a Saturday. That's, you know, going, to be, so that's going to be great fun, actually. Great fun. I'm just looking at some of the other names on, mm-hmm. on the list, and, and you have Louise O'Neill, O'Neill is in there, J.P. Quinn, my old pal from UCC, who's working on his second book at the moment. Uh, you have, uh, and, and his, his first one is a, a huge success. Uh, one of my favourite writers, and ever since I started writing, reading her stuff, I just can't put it down, uh, that's uh, Veronica um, or Vanessa Fox McLaughlin, best known yeah. as Sam Blake. I cannot Sam Blake. put Sam Blake's books down. Oh, I'm delighted because Vanessa is just a wonderful supporter of Cork World Book Fest every year. And we is behind our uh, wonderful uh, Getting Published workshop, which attracts a huge number of people. And with great advice from agents and editors and Vanessa herself and other writers. And they're all free, PJ, which is just amazing. I was just going to get to that, actually. All the events are free. How the heck are you doing that? That's that's very, very uh, attractive. All the events are free bar, bar the last one on the Saturday in Triscoll, uh, which is the uh, celebration of Matthew Sweeney's poem, which has been a musical commission with Ian uh, Bellamy. That one is paid for. But we are very lucky in that Cork City Council supports the book fest and we get um, wonderful funding as well from the Arts Council of Ireland through their festival investment scheme so really without those we couldn't do that and uh, being a public library we wanted to be all inclusive 
and um, workshops on getting published and that can be very expensive to attend and is not open to everybody. So we're really um, proud that our events are free. And I think we saw that actually last year when it was all online. We had um, people from as far as Nova Scotia to Tokyo uh, to Iceland um, coming in, especially for workshops um, because they are free and just they have their, you know, a great pedigree behind them now as well. Yeah, yeah. So you know the name in there. An old pal of mine from Donkeys years ago, Patrick Cutter. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, Cork is such a literary city, you know, and we all work together. The libraries work together with um, Munster Literature Centre, which Pat is the director of. We work with O'Vale and Paul Casey and um, with Fiction at the Friary, uh, Danielle McLaughlin and Madeleine Darcy, who are curating the uh, Lost Launches um, section in in St. Peter's. And, I mean, uh, other aspects that we have are poetry in the park. We have so many poets. The city is just vibrating Mm. with literature. It it is, actually. It is, yeah. Yeah, and new and contemporary, you know, which is wonderful. You could go through, if you you were the kind of person who reads a book a week, God, I wish I had the time, but... I'd like to think I'd read a book a fortnight anyway. But if you if, if you read a book a week, you could actually go a whole year with the various different types of books written by Cork people or with a Cork connection. Absolutely. And it's making our one city, one book. When we started, we started 2016, I think it was with Frank O'Connor book, but oh my God, how it has developed. And now there are so many local writers mm. you know, contacting us to be part of it and to, for, to have their book considered. And, you know, there's such a choice. It's terrible to have to choose one over the other. I think you've Catherine Kerwin in there as well. She was the one city one book, wasn't she? We had, yeah. And then, of course, Danielle McLaughlin last year. And she is actually, through that book and through our nomination from the libraries, she's in for the Dublin Literature Award. So, I mean, that's a a huge, a huge award to be shortlisted for. Claire, I I noticed there before I let you go, um, in America... The 5th of April, which will be tomorrow, is National Library Workers' Day. It's about time we had one here, isn't it? <laughs> well, TJ, you can uh, go about getting that for us. Yeah, yeah. All right. You listen, might get a day off from the Lord You'd May. never know. Have a, have, I'll get your homework off. Yeah. Have a good Have a good festival when it comes around. And it, the, there is a website, Cork Workbook, World Book Festival. Go, there's just so much stuff going on, and so many great writers just to talk about books and the joy of reading and the joy of writing and the thrill of picking up. I have. I bought one. Probably the best hundred quid I ever spent for for some reasons. I bought one of these Kindle things about a year ago, and it's brilliant. And I keep loads of books on it, and it's fabulous. But there's nothing beats the thrill of opening up a new book uh, and opening the pages and getting to smell a new book. It's great. I'm I'm doing what I always do now. I'm saving up books for the holiday, the holidays in the summer, and then the missus is going. Oh, I've got another one. Hang on a second, you have a Kindle. No, they're not all going. Could talk all day about books and reading. Now, I don't know what this is about, but clearly the person involved was very grateful. And that's to say a quick thank you to Councillor John Maher um, for a very kind gesture yesterday to a lady who's not very well. And she's been in touch to say she really appreciated 
what Councillor Maher did for her. You know who you are. Thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96. Stop hell over. Hang on. Sorry, I had to tear the old throat there. I had some stuff held over uh, from our discussion on the HSE this morning with Chris Luke. Uh, to the lads on the proc accusing me of going easy on the HSE, I think you should probably listen back to the Chris Luke podcast extra. He didn't spare the horses. Just listen, lads. That's the problem with the proc. They're doing a lot of talking and a lot of listening. 0818 96 96 96. I have some comments held over on that, but I know, Joe Byrne, you've got another one of your charity efforts coming up. And when do you want to do it? Easter time, I think, Joe. Good morning. Good morning, PJ, my friend. Yes, I have, but just before I start, um, you know that lady that died in the Galgies? Yes, indeed. That was Darren's first cousin, Cora. Oh, um, Joe, I'm so sorry to hear yeah, that. Yeah, so we're just going down to the family now after this call. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful um, lady PJ and very supportive of all the charities we get involved with and very charitable herself does a lot in the community please Two convey my, my, my condolences to Darren will you shocking yeah yeah. Oh so yeah PJ thanks very much for that yeah we're having um, a fun day nothing to do with here now just a fun day for children from Middell House Coonley Refuge and a few other services and what we're hoping to have is um, Easter egg face painting all sorts of fun in the marquee in Flannery's. They're giving us the marquee. They're going to do food for the day. It's going to be from two to five. So it's during midterm. And my whole idea, our, our whole idea is just to get these guys, these kids and mums out of this emergency accommodation, bed sits or whatever, you know, in their house and things and have a day of fun. Mm. Um, and something for the mothers to amuse the kids during midterm. We're having it on the 11th of April, which is next Monday, and what we're hoping for, PJ, and what we're, what I'm looking for is a few Easter eggs, obviously, but also something, you know, games or crane books, comics, stories, something that we can amuse the lads with and send them home with later on then in the day. Okay, and um, they can deliver them to the salon, I suppose, or maybe to flanneries? Deliver them to the salon, yeah, and, you know, it's... It, it's, and anyone out there that, you know, if we did like to come, obviously contact us. We'd love to see them. And just a fun day, nothing to do with the hair at Joseph's. This is just a fun day. Come up with it. Darren myself and thought this would be a great idea. And Flannery's are always on board, PJ. They're amazing and the staff and everything. So, about about, about, about how yeah. many kids would you be expecting, Joe? Well, I know of the 17 families from one service. So... What that means, I wouldn't know exactly how many kids would be in each family, but the mums are coming as well. So I'd say they'd be, they'd be fair through, enough to fill a marquee, they'd be fair through, fair crowd. Very good. Okay. But so. I don't know anyone, PJ, that could, do you know anyone that would entertain kids, you know, in all the day and entertain itself anyway, but like with a face painting or something, a clown that what? can dress up or do something. I don't know any of them. There any. you go, Joe. You're, you're, you're on the show. You want someone yeah, to come along to the marquee in Flannery's on the 11th of April, April which is this day week, yeah. 2 to 5, and just entertain, do some balloons, do some crack with the kids for a couple of hours. Exactly, because when there's so much singing that I can do, you know, <laughs> and dancing and, and, and hair braids and things like that. So, yes, PJ, that would be fantastic, and maybe to contact me beforehand, just get it all organised. 
That'd be, that'd be and fantastic. anybody wants to donate, and I know now it's very tough with Ukraine at the moment, things yeah. like that, so people are stretched, but if they have anything, just drop it into Joseph, we'd be delighted. All right, fair play, fair play. Recent recipient, and deservedly so, recent recipient of a Pride of Cork Award as well, Joe, and and much deserved. As I said, can, thanks very much. Convey my condolences once again uh, to Darren on that news. Uh, the lady, thank you, Joe Byrne, the, the lady who passed away uh, during the Climb for Charlie event uh, at the weekend uh, was a cousin of Darren Kilkenny, who is Joe's husband. So thoughts with that family and indeed extended family. 0818-969696. Right back to the hospitals. Neve said, if consultants working for HSE took public patients only and the private sector was left to stand on its own, our consultants would be able to get through the waiting lists faster. The private sector should receive no public funding whatsoever and consultants shouldn't be permitted to double job by dealing with their private patients out of their public office. That's where the new consultant contract is supposed to be going, Neve. Not too sure how it's working out, but that's the plan that they were trying to have in, 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 an entirely public consultant's sector. It's taking them time to do it. But it's a valid point. You, you're, you're extremely well paid as a consultant in the public health service. You shouldn't need to have private operation. But up up to now, there was nothing to stop you from doing that. Whereas I think the new contracts uh, don't encourage any private operation at all. But thank you. Kate said she's a private patient who woke up in a men's ward after an operation because there were no beds. She said the HSE were very hard to deal with. Tom makes the point that the ED in the South Infirmary should be reopened along with EDs in Mallow and Bantry. Cramming everything into one hospital is crazy. Closed EDs and other hospitals should be reopened like Ennis and Nina were to take the load off of Limerick University Hospital. Tom, that's a point that I've been making for as long as I've had a platform to make it. We closed EDs, we closed the South Infirmary, we closed St. Finbar's, we closed Mallow and we closed Bant. They don't have any ED. And I'm going to Mallow tonight, I'm going out to my wonderful chiropractor out in New Two Pothouse and I'd be driving past Mallow Hospital and there is a sign outside Mallow Hospital that says no emergency department and I'm looking up and particularly in the evening when it's getting dark you look up at this wonderful hospital that great people like Joe Sherlock fought so hard to save this fabulous hospital and there's no emergency department like a place like Mallow and all the surrounding towns and villages and here's this lovely hospital, fine hospital no emergency department. That does not make sense in 2022, Tom. You're so right. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, coming back to earlier as well, talking about inflation and the cost of living that has just gone demented. Uh, Katrina Toomey was on with me uh, from Penny Dinners and I was putting to her the the comments that have come in the last week or so from Pascal Donoghue, Minister for Finance, and our own Michael McGrath, Minister for Public Expenditure, where they, they seem to be pushing this message, well, look, we can't sort everybody out 
And I think we accept that. There is no magic forest of money trees. But the message is we can't sort everybody out. Katrina's attitude was, well, and Seamus was said fair play to that lady from Penny Dinners, a very negative attitude from Michael McGrath and Billy Kelleher to say they can't fix everything. That's exactly why they fix nothing. That lady was correct. Well, they can and will they fix. COVID, Ukraine, they're a worry. But nothing like the worry for the Irish people that Eamon Ryan might one day be Taoiseach. Of all the dreamers in the world, he's actually embarrassing to himself, his family and the people of Ireland, what he comes out with as a solution to very serious problems. We're crying out for an election before he gets his turn to be Taoiseach. The Irish government needs to stand up to the EU on that. Keep up the great work, says Seamus. And John in Cove says, why are the electricity prices going up? It's because Eamon Ryan's in government. They did the same the last time. They let the burden of their environmental worries fall on those who could least afford it. And the other two rats in Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, no, that's a bit strong, John, just obsessed with keeping power and they will let them do anything because it doesn't affect their lifestyle and it never will. There needs to be a mass movement like there was with Irish water. Eamon Ryan, by far from the most popular politician in the country at the moment. 0818 96 96 96. Now, the whole country became aware recently of the Dursey Island cable car story, but we talked about it here very early in the year on the opinion line and the cable car closed as was planned last uh, Friday, April the 1st and will probably not open until close to the end of the year. And a lot of people are very upset about it. There was a last-minute decision then to fund a ferry service uh, to replace the cable car. But it won't do a whole pile, really. Cormac O'Neill is from O'Neill's of Allahies. Cormac, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Now, the, the Dursley Island story, It's a, look, that cable car has to be re- repaired and, and those stanchions have to be replaced. But... Cutting off the island for eight or nine months just wasn't sustainable, was it? No, no, certainly not, PJ. Um, I suppose the time of it really is, is, it couldn't be worse. I mean, uh, it's just a huge blow for for the peninsula as a whole, you know. It's it's hard to overstate the, the importance of, of Dursley Island and, and the cable car to the to the tourism industry here in, in Beira. And um, I suppose for any of your listeners that's... that's they aren't aware of, of its importance. I mean, it's the only one of, of its type in the country. So, um, yeah, it, it's just, I mean, the timing from April, from, from last Friday up until the end of November. I mean, uh, considering it's post-COVID and, and there was, you would imagine, ample time, um, uh, you know, when, during lockdowns, etc., to, to complete this work. So it's, it's far from ideal. It's like far for, from ideal, PJ. For you running a pub there in, in, in Allahies, um, like what benefit was the cable car to you, particularly in summertime? Oh, it's huge. Um, it's huge, PJ. I suppose it's, um, it's the jewel in the crown of the Vera Peninsula, really. You know, um, I think um, anybody that's, that's making out an itinerary for the, for the Ring of Vera or, you know, West Cork as a whole would certainly um, would more than likely have the, 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 the cable car down. Um, again, look, there was, there was issues, I suppose, with the um, separate issues, like with the proposed... Um, the proposed new new uh, cable car, you know, I mean, there was planning permission granted for that, and that's gone to judicial review, uh, and the results of that are going to be known today. But I mean, yeah, so that that's uh, I suppose a separate issue. But um, 
it's just it, it, it's just huge. I mean, it's um, like I said, the jewel in the crown. Everybody yeah. that that comes to Vera is is well aware of it. Where people will pop um, in to say your place for a bit of lunch, and then they go off in the cable car, and maybe come back afterwards and have stay for the evening or whatever. Correct. Just, and I was talking earlier in the year to the farmers who who are affected. Now, there is a ferry, but I think again, people who might know like that patch of water, that stretch of water, the Dursey Sound, like. That's a very skilled passage. You you it need is. to know what you're doing to go across there safely on the calmest of days. You would, you would. Um, it would, it would be known for for being very treacherous. Sorry, PJ. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't be an expert in, in the line of that. But I, you know, as far as I'm aware, there might be uh, issues with with um, with the, the, the landing then on the other side as That's well. Right. You know, on, on the on the Dorsey, um, Island side. So yeah, it's it's look. I, it, that will that will definitely. Um, Fulfill a need for the farmers, and that was that was that was needed. But I mean, for the the tourism industry, yeah. um, it certainly doesn't. You know, there's there's still a huge gap there yeah. for um, as far as we're concerned. You, you can't take stunning photos. Well, you can, but not the not the type that people are used to from a boat that's lobbing up and down on the on, on the ocean wave. Correct. The, correct. The fo- I, I, look, I suppose the, the, the experience, the cable car itself yes. was the experience. Yes. Now, Dorsey Island itself is absolutely stunning. I would highly recommend anyone to, to visit it completely, uh, totally unspoiled. But, I mean, the, the, like I said earlier, the, the cable car is the only one of its type in the country. It's going over the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the experience, you know what I mean? And then you, you do your walk inside yeah. Beryl, or inside in Dorsey Island, sorry. Um, you know, that, that's... You know, that stuff was the main attraction, really. I guess in practical terms, Cormac, what else could be done? It's got to be fixed. Those stanchions have got to be either repaired or replaced because they could come down, or so we're told. What was the alternative? Was there one? Look, I suppose health and safety is obviously the priority. You know, um it was it was inspected as far as I'm aware by CIE and they deemed it unsafe. Um, but there seems to be no plan B at all from from the Cork County Council here. I mean, they um, like I said earlier, they went for planning um, a complete overhaul where there'd be a double car running. Um, that has been um, like I said put on, on judicial uh, put for judicial review review. Sorry. Um, because of, of ecological concerns raised by the Friends of the Irish Environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but like I said, deciding to close it from April to, to November, you're, you're, you're obviously um, the height of the tourist, tourist season. You know, could this not have been done um, a year ago? Or, you, you know what I mean? Like, the, these, uh, these kind of, yes, there was storm bar and there was, there was damage done from that, but... I mean, I don't know. There just seems to be a severe lack of common sense here, PJ, because um, this, it, there was no foresight whatsoever. Zero foresight. It's just we were told about two months ago that the, the cable car was going to close. I mean, surely this was known long before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they said, according to the examiner here, I'm reading that about 22,000 people pay to use it every year now it doesn't sound like a whole lot but it's only a small little little vehicle that goes over and back but every one of them that spends in the area a visitor to the area with their family can drop a hundred euro in, in a visit in a day they could they could they could uh, very easily PJ and um, you know like it's 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 a hammer blow because you know the, the last couple of years have been so uncertain you know um, there's and again this season 
we just don't know. I suppose the tourism industry as a whole doesn't know uh, kind of what's coming down the line because people are obviously eager to to go on foreign holidays, but will the continental Europeans and the British and and, and the Americans visit and, and offset yeah. the Irish going abroad? You know, so um, yeah, like and again, if there's, uh, I think in the past the Bear Peninsula has been bypassed um, and and overlooked. You know, and and I suppose if if there's one less attraction there. Will the temptation be for people to to continue from Glengarriff onto onto Kinmere and onto the onto the Ring of Kerry? You know, so hopefully hopefully not. But um, you know, that's not 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 looking good as you head into tourist season. Thank you, Cormac Cormac O'Neill from O'Neill's of Allahies. All this week we're with Blackwater Motors. Their annual demo and used car events coming up. Five hundred cars to choose from across the Volkswagen and Seat range. Starts Wednesday, runs till Sunday, twelve to four at Forge Hill. Uh, for Moy and Skibbereen, more info blackwatermotors.ie. A giveaway to celebrate that all week. And we wanted you to know who is this motoring celebrity? That is gotta go to work. It's one of my favourite lines in all their movies, Vanessa. Hiya. Hi, how are you? Who is it? The Rock. The Rock. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock from Fast and Furious. One of my favorite. All right, you have got a €250 voucher and one of our daily winners will be upgraded to €500 on Friday. Cheers for that, Vanessa. Pass you back on to Fergal. We'll have another one to guess tomorrow. Daddy's got to go to work. I love that line. Right, that's it. The programme today, edited by uh, Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Bailey Olive. And we'll see you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.